Welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? I'm April. And I'm Rachel. How are you doing tonight, Rachel? I'm doing great tonight. I went to a live taping of a podcast I love last night. It was awesome. The podcast is How Did This Get Made? And it's three incredibly funny people. Although last night they had two different guests instead of one of the hosts. And they talk about crazy movies and how did they get made. And sometimes they recommend you watch them and sometimes they don't. And it's very, very funny. Is it always about movies? It's always about movies. It's always about weird ass movies. We watched Jason X or Jason 10, depending on how you want to read it. And what was the verdict? Well, for me, it's the only Jason movie I've ever watched because not my bag. And I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) And it turns out the writer and director had never seen any of the previous movies. So it's kind of what you'd expect from someone who had never seen any of the franchise. It was awesome. Yeah, I think I haven't seen the Jason movies in a while. Um, We also saw a great podcast taping earlier in the week. Yeah, we did. So as you all know, Rachel and I won the uh, Work It Award from the KCRW radio race and got tickets to the Women's Podcast festival that was here in LA at the Ace Hotel. And so we got to go to a taping of another round. And it was absolutely hilarious. I can't believe I've missed this podcast for the last couple years. It's been around a few years. And the hosts are Tracy and Heben. And they are fucking hilarious. So I recommend that everyone listen to another round. Another great podcast that we have to recommend is The Illusionist, which is a word and language podcast. It's hosted by Helen Zaltzman. She is hilarious and smart and cool and witty. And we actually got paired up with her to be our mentor at the Women's Podcast Festival. We were so lucky to be able to talk to her and pick her brain for podcast wisdom. And she's pretty amazing. And her podcast is great. So definitely check that one out too. And for those of you who are hearing illusionists, we want to clarify that's illusionist with an A. And Helen, if you're listening, thank you. You fucking rule. You were so much fun to talk to. It was really a pleasure to get to hang out with you. So what is on our podcast this week, Rachel? Well, we're going from comedy to ghosts. (laughs) We're going from comedy to spooky. Whenever anything was spooky when we were kids, my dad had this funny noise that he would make and he would always go, ooh, and that's how you knew that like a ghost story was coming up or he was going to drive you past a haunted house (laughs) or down a foggy road into the middle of nowhere and then tell you a ghost story. It sounds like the X-Files. Maybe he, you know, psychically composed that theme song. Well, he should get some royalties then. I wish. So we thought for the month of October to celebrate Halloween coming up, we would share some ghost stories. We're going to celebrate the month of Halloween the way it's supposed to be celebrated. We're going to focus on the weird, the paranormal, the ghostly, the spooky, maybe some monsters. We're going to look at it all this month. So in this episode, Rachel talked to a skeptic who moved into a house that turned out to be haunted. And he's going to share his experience. And then we're going to have a special guest who got rid of a ghost from her house. It's a pretty fun ride. We're going to go down down the rabbit hole of ghosts. And if we could afford the rights to it, I would so be playing the theme song to Ghostbusters right now. All right, April, you ready? Oh, take me Ghostbusting. Ghostbusting. 
Mueller. So this is way back in the 90s, and I was in my fifth year at UC Santa Cruz, taking my time. And uh, it's the beginning of the year, and I'm looking for a house, and there's this really great-looking place. Um, it's right by the beach. There were you know, room for six. It was uh, four very lovely young women and um, the son of a well-known author who wasn't around very much. Nice house, and it looked, looked great. So I was really hopeful that I'd get the spot. I did get a call, and they said, yeah, uh, we'd like to interview you. We'd like to, we'd like you. We'd like to offer you a, uh, a room, but there's a couple things we wanted to talk about first. And so I said, sure. So I go, and I talk to a couple of the girls, and they said, okay, well, there's just there's kind of two things we really wanted to tell you before you moved in. And one is that one of the other girls, she has a couple of stuffed animals, and she thinks they're alive. And it's a big part of who she is. And if you moved in, you'd kind of have to be cool with that. And, you know, I thought, well, that's pretty odd. And But, okay, I'm pretty flexible. I can roll with that. And they said, okay, well, the other thing is that the house is haunted. And I'm like, well, hmm, uh, sure. I mean, at the time I was, uh, I was a devout atheist and very skeptical of stuff and so you know, stuff like that so I just said um, uh, that's not an issue I'll be fine with the haunted part and so they said great move on in time goes by and a couple of the girls they seem to see this thing a lot and they're they're constantly like finishing each other's sentences about it over breakfast and stuff and I'm just kind of listening and you know whatever okay uh, one of the girls that saw it all the time was the stuffed animal girl. A you know, little credibility issue there, perhaps. I also <laughs> learned that the ghost had come back. Apparently, it had been gone, but it came back when I moved in, which I found curious. And their explanation was that the ghost didn't like the guy that I replaced, and so it didn't come around much. The ghost, by the way, was purportedly an old woman that had lived there the original couple that had built the house and apparently several generations of tenants had been reporting to later tenants oh by the way there's something in the house and it was back because i was there or it was because it, the other person wasn't so okay i kind of got my curiosity peaked and i admit sometimes at night i'm kind of pulling the covers up and kind of waiting to see if something's going to happen. And I was kind of laughing at myself because that's absurd because there's just, it's impossible. There's no way there's ghosts. I was very sure of that. And first incident is there was this stairway and there was a closet under the stairway. And the door to that closet faced the door to a bathroom. And the girls downstairs said both doors had to be closed. There was something about that space under the stairs and I'm overhearing this and I'm I don't know I'm young and cocky and I'm kind of so I'm, I'm going to show them and I said that's you know that's ridiculous guys it's a closet there's nothing in the closet uh, and they're like you don't know there's something creepy it's just there's a vibe and I was just like yeah sure so I said I'll tell you what I'm going to I'm going to spend the night in the closet I'm just going to you know lay down a sleeping bag and a pillow and I'm spending the night in the closet and they're like no don't don't and I'm like don't be silly well, I open the door to the closet, and there's just clothes hanging there. And I push the clothes aside, and I just got the strongest feeling of no. And I just kind of 
put myself out there. I'm kind of poo-pooing them. And they're all standing around, and I'm looking at this space, and I just said, you know what? Nah, I'm not doing it. I just, I, I just flat out said, I changed my mind. I don't know what it is, but I'm not doing that. So I couldn't really explain it, but for, for how I was at that time, so sort of sure of myself, kind of cocky, in the middle of pointing out how silly they are, um, I, it was a very strong feeling. It was very out of character, but it was also clear as day. I wasn't going to do it. So sometime later, it's night. I'm alone in the house. It's not late. I don't know. It's seven or eight, but just nobody else is home. And I don't, you know, there's not a whole lot of lights on in the house. I was downstairs in the kitchen. And because it was really dark outside, the windows were kind of, you know, reflecting. They were sort of acting like mirrors. And I catch out of the corner of my eye movement, and I look, and I can see pretty clearly someone is walking up the stairs. And I thought I was alone in the house. So I kind of walked over to get a better view, and I see it. It's a small female, I thought maybe my housemate Phoebe, and she's walking up the stairs. It looks like maybe she's holding a laundry basket. And so I call out, hey, Phoebe. Hey, Phoebe. And the woman just keeps walking up the stairs. So I think that's weird, but maybe she's got headphones on, or I don't know. So I follow around the corner. By the time I get around the corner at the foot of the stairs, she's not there anymore. But I thought it was Phoebe, so I thought she was in room. So I go up the stairs and I knock on the door and there's no answer. I knock again. I don't want to, you know, you know, burst in on someone without, but no, there's no answer. And I was kind of curious. So I open the door and the room's empty. And I thought, well, maybe it was somebody else. Um, so I knock on all the other doors upstairs. Same thing. I look inside and there's nobody there. But in Phoebe's room, there was also a door out to a balcony, which had a stairway out to the, you know, you know, back down outside. So I just thought, well, somebody went up, they didn't hear me. And, and very quickly, they just, you know, went out and back outside. So I kind of forgot about it. But later that night, when everyone's kind of home, I'm like, hey, Phoebe, um, were you here? Um, like maybe doing laundry a couple hours ago? And she's like, no. And I sort of, I asked around, was anybody here? They're like, no. I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, well, what's up? I said, well, I, I saw a woman walk up the stairs. I saw it with a laundry basket, and I thought it was Phoebe, but then when I went and, you know, knocked on all the doors, nobody was there. And they're all kind of looking at each other and not saying anything, and I'm like, what? And they're like, we know who that was. I'm like, get out. There, you know, there's a doorway. Like she could have walked out the door and on and on, and, and they just weren't having any of it. They were like, no, we know who that was. I mean, I saw for sure somebody walking up the stairs, and there was definitely nobody up there when I got there, but there's a, that's not a great explanation, but there is a possible explanation. I don't know why nobody would cop to it or if some stranger was in the house. Again, it's not a great explanation, for, but for me at the time, it's a much better explanation than there's an apparition walking through the house. Sometime later, I'm getting home pretty late, not super late, but 10 or 11, and I open the door, and I see who I think is one of my housemates at the end of the hall. It's pretty dark. It, I think there was a light just as you entered the door, but at the end of the hallway, it was pretty darn dark, but I, I thought I knew who it was. I called out, hey, Cynthia, and she just seemed to walk into 
this girl Holly's room. Well, that was kind of odd. So I just kind of, I don't know, I just walked down. I don't know if there's a couple of people up. I'm just going to say hi, I'm home, whatever. But when I got to the end of the hall, the door was closed. And when I say I saw someone walk through the door, it looked like they were walking through an open door because no one reached over and turned a doorknob. They walked through the door like it was open. So when I got there and it was closed, it was I was startled. And I'm kind of standing there and I'm just kind of mulling things over. I'm just kind of like, what was that? That is really odd. I'm looking at the closed door. I'm basically standing in front of the closed door. And while I'm standing there trying to figure out what I just saw, the light turns on. That's really weird. So after the light turns on, I knock on the door a couple of times. And I hear this very kind of nervous, yes. And it was my housemate, Holly. And I said, it's Matt. Can I come in? And she said, yeah. So I open the door and she's sitting up in bed. And she just turned the light on. And I look around the room and it's just her. And I'm like, is there someone else in here? And she looks at me and she says, there was. Like, what do you mean? She said, I was sound asleep. And suddenly I felt somebody's hand on my head. It woke me right up out of my sleep. And I sat up and I turned on the light. And then I hear a knock at the door. And that really freaked me out. You know, we're just kind of looking at each other. And I'm still kind of looking around the room. And, and I'm just like, I, so that was. And she kind of nods. And I'm like, oh, boy, okay. That one, I, I got nothing. Somebody absolutely was at the end of that hall. Somebody walked through the door, and I, and I guess I mean, like, through the closed door. And I don't know what to say. That, I, got no, I got nothing. I don't know how. I wasn't tired. I wasn't. All the things you might go through to explain why you saw something like that, I, I got nothing. I saw someone walk through the door. She felt someone walk through the door at the exact same time. What's that about? When you're young, you know, you're you're so sure of things. And I was just I was just so hard for me to come to terms with that because I was so positive that ghosts were impossible. And part of me still thinks that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. And yet I saw it. This is kinda of hard. If you're if you're being in, encountering you know, ghosts or uh, poltergeists or whatever, it's kind of undermining everything you believe is real, you know. That's Jane Sokolow. Jane also has experiences with haunted houses. Years ago, Jane and her two small children moved to Nevada City, where she found herself clearing her own house of a non-corporeal inhabitant. Nevada City is three miles away from Grass Valley. The two little towns were very prominent in the gold rush era because there are not only mines, but there are several rivers that have gold washing down them. And actually nearby is something called the Malakoff Diggins, where the placer miners literally reduced a mountain to a pile of rubble to get at gold. So it was a very intense 
uh, place in the late 19th century, and the Nevada City was the place where the wealthy people lived, and it's a little town that consists of about 2,500 people today, and Grass Valley was where the the lower class lived, including the Cornish miners that they brought in to mine the gold, and you can still get Cornish pasties at Christmas time in Grass Valley, and Nevada City uh, is a national monument and or a special kind of place. I'm not sure the designation, but it cannot be changed. None of the houses can be changed physically. And if one burns down, as is the case of a house that I lived in, it has to be rebuilt exactly the way it was. There was an aerial photograph taken of the town in the 50s, and that determines what things have to look like. So the particular house that we had some experiences with was one of these houses that had been burned down. It was supposedly accidental, although I did mention to several people who live there, I, oh, I'm, I'm living at XXX on Sacramento Street, and they'd look at each other and say, oh, the insurance fire. <laughs> so I don't know what the owners did. <laughs> In any case, they had built it back, and it was a little oh, a strange little house. And upstairs was just kind of a big hall and had a couple of rooms there. And that's where my kids slept. That was their bedroom. When I moved in, the brother of the woman who owned it, who was a friend of mine, who had recently inherited it because it had belonged to her uncle, I think. And he had just died. So there's another piece of it. But in any case, the brother helped me move in and kind of looked at me saying, you are into some psychic stuff. And I said, yeah. And he said, boy, there's some strange things that happen. You know, I hear somebody coming down those stairs, and I look, and there's nobody there, and all this kind of stuff. Well, for various reasons, I wasn't real prone to seeing ghosts and things, so I didn't pay too much attention. But I have to admit, I did hear somebody stomping along upstairs at one point and ran up to see and didn't see anything. But my daughter, who was at the time about eight, I guess, is very visually open psychically, and she did see. And she told me about it, and I said, oh, well, somebody said there was a ghost here. I said, yeah, well, I want him to go away. <laughs> I only saw him the one time, like, actually saw him. That's Molly, Jane's daughter. This is what she saw. In the front room, there was a little staircase that went up to a little landing, and then there was another little staircase that went up to the attic space, which is one big room, and we slept up in the attic. And I would, my brother would sit down on the, the first floor at the bottom of the first staircase, and I would sit at the landing, and we would throw a ball back and forth. Um, and I was sitting there uh, throwing the ball back and forth and looking down at my brother, and I just got this feeling of cold, and they talk about cold spots, you know, when you look into it, but I mean, it was a feeling of cold and of evil. I mean, I don't, I've rarely had a sense of, you know, a visceral sense of runaway now, but I looked up the staircase up into the attic space and there was this young man. Um, my impression was he was blonde in like a blue 60s suit, you know, really kind of sh- like a sharp, like shark skin kind of suit staring down at me. I had such a clear visual of him. I could probably draw him pretty clearly. I don't, not super distinct features of the face, but I, he was as there as much as if you turn around and see somebody in a crowd who's turning and looking at you. 
probably was not more than about eight or ten feet, like he was inside the room and then staring down at me. And he was very clear and full color and and could see me. And that was very scary. And just the vibe that came off of him was, was malevolent. And my sense was, leave now. And I think I basically ran over Tano on the way down the stairs. Like, I just, I wanted to be as far away from whatever that was as I could get. I can't remember ever having experienced that, that intense of just, I need to be away from that uh, before or since, really. So at that point, I think, is, is when I did this exercise that I did with other people's houses when I was up there, which is sort of mentally trying to contact the being that is doing this and telling them that, you know, it is not any more appropriate for them to be in this house, that they need to move on to other energetic levels, and then just kind of plugging them into their higher source so that they can leave. And we didn't have any trouble after that. There wasn't any, anything that we experienced after that. So that you make it seem so matter of fact <laughs> that anybody could do this. Is there any preparation that goes in before you mentally yeah. reach out to uh, a being? Well, see, I had had about two, three years at this psychic school doing readings and being really suffused in all the experiences that all the students, as well as people who came for readings, had. So I had... It was like I was in graduate school with these kinds of things that almost none of my friends even felt existed. So so it's a little hard to explain. I was coming from kind of the back end where I learned how to, to dress these things as sort of ordinary things. But uh, just off the top of my head, I would say, feel really grounded, feel really, you know, strong. You know, if it's, if it's your house or your space, you have a right to be there. And they don't. And so just because it's your space, no one else in the universe has any right to be in your space but you. And your energy is the strongest thing in your space that exists. So nothing outside of you can be that strong. All you have to do is believe that. When you believe that, then you can say, okay. But the other thing is just compassion. It's it's like thinking, you know, this person is just wandering around, bumping into walls, and, you know, they, they want to move on. You know, it would be better for them to move on. They would feel better. So just have a feel like you're having a conversation with them. You know, there's other places to go. And what I did was I had been taught how to raise my energy, which is to feel good, <laughs> to, to dwell on things that make you feel good, to dwell on things that make you feel happy and lusty and enjoying things and just say, I know there's a better place for you and you'll enjoy it and let's go. And then just keep going until you have the sense that you're the only one in the room. You said that you had people reach out to you for other houses. Can you give some examples of how those houses presented themselves? They were usually houses that, first of all, were quite old. And uh, let's see, in the two cases that I knew of, they were houses um, that I knew from just historically that there had been, you know, a lot of living in those houses. You know, maybe it was a wealthy family that uh, had a lot of power in town, or maybe it was, you know, the the local bartender who had a lot of, you know, a lot of wayward people, you know, to deal with or whatever. And physically, organic materials such as the wood frames of wood frame buildings 
are absorbent and they actually do absorb energies and they absorb the energies of humans. When you die, you do leave this physical realm, but your energy hangs around always. Um, in fact, more there's more non-physical energy around than there is physical energy around. So it can it can actually, for individual instances, and you know, say a really dramatic event, somebody dies or somebody's murdered or something like that, that creates you know spikes of this energy and it can actually be absorbed into the walls, and so that's the reason I'm giving for why the people that called me were usually in these psychically remarkable buildings to begin with. And I remember one, it was a a woman and a man, and they had a couple of kids, and they had moved into this really very wonderful house. But they were afraid to go to the attic because so many things had happened, and she had seen lights, and she had heard noises, and they were, you know, threatening and just plain scary. And so they had just moved out of the house. And so I just sat in the house and, you know, just created a whirlwind of energy, (laughs) just thought about it and filled the whole house as much as I could with that and felt that there were some things that were being moving on to, uh, to other places. I talked to a couple of them and they seemed amenable. And, you know, anyway, long story short, the people did move in. And so something worked. Whether it was that or whether it was simply they felt uh, that somehow I I had handled the reality and so they didn't have to deal with it anymore, you know, everything's open to interpretation. I mean, I could explain it in terms that somebody else who speaks my language could, you know, would understand it. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, we do that. But that doesn't really come across to most people. Um, Just out of curiosity, can you tell me what that is? Because that's... That's good. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I use life force gold energy, to, uh, which is very, very strong um, energy and very loving and vivid and to fill the house with that. When you're in your body, you have a, more power than you would possibly imagine. And so it, I just sat there and just said, okay, I'm imagining more and I'm imagining more and I'm doing it more and more. And it just it felt good. You know, it just felt really good when I left. Anything that is unexpected, especially something that seems like it is totally outside the box of what you expect with reality, is generally going to scare the Jesus out of you. You know, it's just scary just because you don't, you have no idea what to do with it or how to react, you know. And I think that, for example, my daughter's reaction um, was because she had a basis of understanding that she'd somehow absorbed. As Jane explained, Molly is very open to these types of encounters. I wanted to check in with her and talk a little more about her memory of the Nevada City home and how her memory of the ghost differed from what her mom had felt. My name is Molly Sokolo Hayden. What I remember about the house was uh, first that my mom was really excited that we could live there because it was this huge, big old Victorian farmhouse. That was my main thought about it was that it was this big farmhouse and that it had a wraparound porch, which was really cool. And then I also knew that my mom had a sense somebody had been there when she got there, that there was a sense of a a spirit or that the previous owner or some previous owner was still hanging out and that she had done some clearing. But that wasn't unusual. That was something that she kind of did 
we lived in a lot of different places, so that was kind of part of moving in was mom sitting and making sure that, that uh, there wasn't anybody there that shouldn't be. <laughs> so I think, you know, I had a, a sense that there was someone there, but when mom talked about this spirit, it was of a very old man. So I, I mean, it wasn't really that frightening to me. It was just a sense of basically like a guy who just didn't want to leave his place, which isn't that scary when you think about it. My experiences with ghosts or whatever they are have rarely been scary. So that was unusual. It was odd to me how distinct his suit was and how I knew it looked like it was like a 60s era suit. And I remember later trying to figure out if the guy that mom had had impressions of, if that could have been a younger version of him or if it was somebody else. So having something actually like, you know, spooky, scary, like a storybook kind of like this presence was really unusual, very unusual. You know, knowing mom, when there was something freaky like that, usually her response was to run towards it. And then should always remind you that they don't have bodies. They can't do anything to you because they don't have bodies and you have a body. And mostly they're not scary, you know, at least in my experience. Yeah, can you tell me some of your other not scary ghosts? Yeah, yeah. So the first one that I remember is uh, my great-grandpa, Abe, who we were in Tahoe, I think. I was, I think it was four or five, and he had just died. I didn't know that, of course, but it was kind of the classic when I when I looked at it later. I remember being woken, up, waking up in bed and seeing him sit at the base of my bed and say, you know, I just want to say goodbye and, you know, I love you. How are you doing? And, and I was like, oh, Grandpa, I'm fine. Okay, love you. Went back to sleep. When we came back from Tahoe, we found out he had died. And then... Uh, there was this spirit in Hawaii when we were in Hawaii when I was seven, this little girl with red eyes that I like to talk to. And I, I don't think she was a dream. Dreams felt different. My mother was a little like, whoa, about <laughs> that one. Because I was like, yeah, I was talking to this little girl and she had red eyes. It was really cool. And mom was like, hmm, I wonder what that is. Um, <laughs> um, and then the school that Tano and I went to, Peninsula School, the Coleman Mansion that it's in is, like, on the top ten list of haunted houses in California. There's a number of ghosts there, but the one that's, the one that everyone knows about is, the is, I think she's Mrs. Coleman, and she died there, young woman. We would do an overnight in the mansion when you went to school there when you were older, like a eighth grade. And I remember sitting and we were listening to stories, and I remember the sense of this, this, this shape, you know, across the way, like, back in the halls, this blue soft blue outline just from sort of the hips up of a woman that just seemed curious, you know, like maybe I wouldn't say lonely, but more like just kind of hanging out because there was something interesting happening, stories or whatever we were doing. And it was a very, it was a very gentle presence. That wasn't, um, that wasn't scary. It was kind of, it was kind of reassuring because I knew it was a haunted house and I'm like, does that mean something freaky is going to jump out? And, and, and that one, I remember just kind of glancing up and seeing the shape and being like, oh, oh she's very nice, you know, and, and then not, not worrying about it after that. Yeah, and then, and then really nothing. Uh, I, did my, I did have a sense of my dad was dying. Uh, I had a real visceral sense of him being in his house when I knew he was in his, he was actually in a coma in the hospital. He was in, in, our, in the house. I woke up and I could hear him like in the kitchen going through the cupboard looking for a late night snack. And... Just thinking, just and and walking out. That was the one time I walked out and walked in, and I was like, "Dad, where are you?" And I just had this sense of him being like, "What he did every night, you know." Well, 
you know, what did Brian leave in the fridge? And, uh, but he had, he was already, um, brain dead at that point. So I think the thing is with, with my experience, when it's different, like with ghosts or whatever they are, it's not what you would expect. You know, if I said, you know, I'd love to see my dad and, and having what I would, I, I would want to happen or what I would think would happen is totally different than waking up in the middle of the night and having this sense of him, like, trying to open the fridge. That's why it felt, uh, it felt real to me and, and felt, I was really glad later. That was incredible. Those were two great stories. Well, three great stories, really, because we got to hear, you know, both mom and daughter and their experience with the ghost. But I can't believe Matt, the skeptic, actually ended up seeing ghosts. Does he believe in ghosts now? I couldn't get a sense of if he did or didn't. I don't want to speak for him, but he's not going to brush things off as quickly as he used to. And honestly, with all three of these people, were you to meet them face to face, I think the greatest thing about it is with ghost stories, you tend to, or anything supernatural, it's very easy to look at who's telling you and go, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm not going to take them very seriously. These are all very practical (laughs) and very head on straight people. It's really cool. Like they're, for me at least, I love that even though they're spooky stories, they're told matter of factly. I love that it's just, no, nope, this is the way it is. This is what I saw. It's no big deal. And it, or maybe it is, but, but that's it. Did you ever have any experiences with ghosts or anything supernatural when you were a kid or now? Uh, not when I was a kid. And I did once go to Savannah, Georgia on Halloween and stayed in a haunted hotel for the night of Halloween. But I didn't see the ghost. Damn you, Charlie, I was there for you. Why weren't you there for me? I did have an experience in college, though, that I couldn't explain. And I used to think it was a ghost story. I actually told Jane about it. And um, she had a different take. It was pretty interesting. But basically, I was alone in my apartment. And the doors and windows were rattling, but everything was closed. Like all the windows were closed, all the front door, every door was closed. So I'm trying to go to sleep and I decided I'll put my laundry basket against my door so it stops rattling. And I don't live by a train or or even a busy road. It's, you know, it's not normal. And so it does stop and I get in bed and I go, try to go to sleep, but I'm I'm awake. And all of a sudden I felt like someone was pulling me up from under my armpits. And the next thing I know, I'm looking down on my body and my very messy room. And I'm kind of floating away from it. And I am headed towards the foot of my bed and towards the closet beyond. And I just think, nah, I'm cool. I don't want to go anywhere. And I snap back in my body. And then I was tingly for so long after. And I can't explain it. I know I wasn't asleep and I don't know what it was. I don't think it's a ghost anymore, maybe. I don't know. But uh, Jane thought that the rattling was coming from whatever energy I was putting out. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to say the rattling was coming from the central heat and air system. (laughs) Probably a much more logical (laughs) response. But it had never happened before. And we did not have central air because Washington, nobody needed AC back in the day. You do now. 
Well, that's sad that you do now. Wow. So you were astral projecting. Pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I used to try to will myself to do that. I read some book by the guy that wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel. He wrote a second book about astral projection. And so I would just sit there and like will myself to astral project. But um, I don't think it ever really happened. I've had some weird experiences, though. We used to have a ghost in uh, one of the houses that we lived in. Um, this was an old craftsman house that was built in the early 1910s. And uh, it was in Sacramento in an area called Curtis Park. And the dining room was always cold. And my bedroom was above the dining room. My bedroom wasn't cold, but there always felt like there was kind of a weird presence in my room. And then on Friday and Saturday nights, it sounded like someone was going up and down the stairs all night long. And it usually would start about, I don't know, 11 p.m. and then go until about two or something. You know, when we first moved in, we would go and check who's walking up the stairs. There was no one there. And when you would walk up the stairs. My room always shook when anyone walked up the stairs. So when this ghost was walking up and down the stairs or whatever it was, uh, my room would always shake. My dad had a name for this ghost. He called her Sarah. And he was convinced that it was a female spirit. And the other thing that she used to do is uh, turn up and down the volume on the stereo, depending on what the music was. Sarah sounds like a party ghost. I mean, Friday and Saturday nights are her big nights of activity. And she was pretty particular about her music, right? So maybe she was a DJ in her past life. That's what I'm thinking. She uh, would turn up Michael Jackson and Prince and turn down Def Leppard and Van Halen. Um, I agree with Michael Jackson and Prince, but Van Halen should always be turned up. Panama is amazing. Panama? Uh, what about 5150? That album is so awesome. <laughs> oh, I mean, I love all of Diamond Dave's work. Don't get me wrong. But I had a friend and it's stuck with me forever. And I, I love it. I had a friend like that's something I had once. But I did have a friend once who used to say that she was either going to get married or buried to Panama. And she wanted to be it was a dark sense of humor. She had uh, type one diabetes and a lot of <laughs> mental health things. So she's like, so it might be that I get buried first to it. And I want to like, parachute in in my casket to Panama. So forever, that song's gonna be pretty strong in my heart. Okay, now I love it too. <laughs> I mean, I want to be buried to Panama. I just want Panama as my soundtrack now. We were talking earlier when we were discussing putting this show together. Where I grew up, ghost stories were not part of the lore. So for me, it took a long time to even come around to the idea of ghosts as a reality or that even accepting that so many people believe in ghosts. But for you, April, it was part of your culture growing up, right? Your your city? Yeah. So I grew up in Sacramento. And for some reason, that town, I guess, is full of ghosts or feelings or something. Because uh, when I was growing up, everybody had a ghost story. It was just kind of a common thing. Downtown Sacramento is full of a bunch of Victorian homes. And then uh, along the Sacramento River is Old Sacramento, which is where the gold rush happened. And there's a Western kind of town that's now a tourist thing. But uh, but it's still these old buildings. It's fascinating, too, because there's a city beneath the city like there is in Seattle. And so growing up, every single person I knew 
kid, child, man, woman had some kind of experience with ghosts or some kind of a ghost story. And I find it really interesting that the three guests that we had on all were from Northern California. And these things happened in Northern California. And Nevada City is just outside Sacramento. And the guest that we're going to have on next week, who is a paranormal investigator from Sacramento, she also finds a lot of hauntings around Sacramento. And then the city that she finds to be the most haunted is Virginia City, which is uh, just outside Reno, so not too far away from there. So that that whole area just seems really haunted. And I guess it's just it just seems to be the common story of people growing up there. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you you talked about Gold Rush for Sacramento, and you've also told me that it was a super murdery town. And Jane said in Nevada City, it was also a rush, a mining town. And the intensity of living, she was explaining to me, is part of what can create these energetics, like exfoliations, <laughs> like these leave behinds is how I keep thinking of it. It's like, oh, something just got left behind. I am from a very small five mile island with very few people on it when I was growing up. So maybe we didn't have as much intensity or laying down the stuff there. I mean, it was a fishing town nearby. Those guys are pretty intense, but <laughs> <laughs> but they're usually doing all their intensity out, out at sea. Yeah, so they were out in the haunted ocean. Yeah, up in Alaska. I wonder, uh, I wonder how many ghosts are around. Uh, that would be really fascinating to be a paranormal investigator in the sea. I want to say thank you to Matt, to Jane, and to Molly for sharing their awesome stories and for being great people in the world. Happy to have them around and really happy to have you all listening still. Thank you guys for everything. Please check out the website. We'll be posting some weird ghost stories this week. Uh, we obviously don't have documentation from these stories, um, but we'll, we'll put up some other fun stuff. And you can rate us on iTunes. Thank you for every star anyone has ever given us. That's so sweet. And follow us on Twitter and uh, Facebook, RUFSM Podcast. That's where you're going to find us. And with that, I'm Rachel. And I'm April. See you next week. <laughs>